Hey, welcome to Flipping the Field, a uh, solo edition here. It's just me. Ryan has been, unfortunately, struggling a lot this week with his uh, his work. He actually runs, he's the executive director of the Hugh Jackson Foundation. And uh, it's been, as you might have seen in the news, kind of a busy week for him. And so we're excited to get Ryan back next week. He uh, he has also, unfortunately, he, he has two jobs and he's been he's lost one. He was also the offensive coordinator at Grambling State. And so it has been a little bit of a difficult week for Ryan. Uh, we're going to give him a little bit of a break while he recovers from uh, committing tax fraud on the Internet and also from being Art Bryles. Um, and so it's just me this week. We're going to talk a little bit about a topic that is, I would say, very near and dear to my heart. Um, that's right, folks. It's the death of RPOs, which we are praying on its downfall. We are hoping is coming soon. Um, and I personally think is probably going to actually come soon. I, I know that it's sort of a, uh, sort of an easy, uh, kind of, you know, thing to, to say like, oh, well, this offensive innovation is going to die because all college football offensive innovations die. Like, well, yeah, obviously it's going to die. It's, you know, they stopped running the wishbone at some point. They stopped doing, you know, pro sets as the base, as the base thing. They stopped doing I form. Like it, it always goes like this, but I think that with RPOs specifically, the timeline has been sped up very severely. And I think that we are rapidly heading towards a, a collapse here that has already kind of started. I think people started to see it in 2021 um, more than than in in recent years um, because a lot of the I would say a lot of the best offenses weren't really doing it so much, and a lot of the offenses that were supposed to be at the top of the sport that were doing it kind of fell flat, at least relative to expectations um, on the largest stages. I, I think specifically of a team like Alabama, which obviously went to the national championship, and so it's hard to say that they fell flat all that often. But the offense we, we kind of talked about all season long didn't ever really feel as good as it should have been. Um, it, it, you know, you can blame a lack of receivers, and I think that that's certainly a part of it. Um, but it just didn't feel especially dynamic. It felt kind of static, especially near the end of the season. Um, you have some other ones. Oklahoma is a, is a very easy example. Um, but a lot of the teams who sort of lean really heavily on this stuff and that kind of piece together their offenses through these uh, dink and dunk passes, through quick reads, through stuff like that. I mean, Texas is another one that comes to mind. They still put up numbers, and they still, in some cases, won a lot of games. Alabama, again, in the national championship. Uh, Oklahoma was, what, 10-2, and two, something along those lines, and, and, you know, had a had a quarterback change in the middle of the season. But there are, I think, diminishing returns with RPOs, and I think that that is sort of the... Uh, start of the end is usually you'll you'll start to see that sort of thing early, you know, a couple years before a trend really goes away because we're still having teams that are just catching on to this, right? Like, we're you know, uh, Pitt just started doing you know plays like this this past season. You're starting to see the Pitt sort of line of college football pick up on these plays and use them more. I mean. You know, you've got James Franklin working stuff into his offense. You've got coaches who are not usually on the cutting edge. I mean, Matt Campbell's doing it. Coaches who are not usually on the cutting edge are are running RPOs and are working them into their offense. Tim Beck is considered one of the better RPO offensive coordinators. And you know we love North Carolina State on this show, but Tim Beck, if he's doing something offensively, it's not going to work for a very long time because he's just doing whatever he sees. And so I, I think... That uh, sort of sense of diminishing returns paired with the fact that it seems like NFL people just hate these things and that a lot of the teams 
who are trying to run them in the NFL are having a lot of trouble doing so. Miami comes to mind with uh, with Tua Tungavaloa, where when it's bad, when this isn't working, it's just disastrous and your your offense completely falls apart. And I think that we are rapidly approaching that point in college football, which brings about two questions. Uh, I, I think, firstly, the question of, well, why is this happening? Why is this falling apart so quickly? Why are, and this is several questions, but why are these innovations in college football happening so much faster now than they used to? Because it's, you know, it wasn't that long ago that the the flavor of the day, the soup of the day, so to speak, was Johnny Manziel, was Braxton Miller, was the Oregon, you know, option. It was, it was read options. It was the sort of spread option running game like what Urban Meyer did at, at Utah for years. And everybody kind of picked up on that at once. And from, I'd say, 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014 into 2015, that was the dominant thing. And then, you know, 2015, you have, I want to say, uh, I don't remember who won that championship. I think it was Alabama won the 2015 championship. But then 2016, Deshaun Watson and Clemson win the championship. And then we're into an era where, the national title teams almost exclusively have an awesome quarterback. Have a have an extremely extremely good quarterback. Um, let me let me just real quick as I I'm I'm doing this on the fly. I did not do a ton of a ton of pre uh, you know preparing for this just because this is something I could talk about off the dome for for quite some time. But if we look at the most recent national champions. Um, you know, in, in, in college football, you're going to see a lot of really dominant quarterbacks. You're going to see, save for Stetson Bennett, which is, I think, part of a another thing that I'm going to branch off in on the defensive side and on how that's developing. But you look at the, you know, the last couple of years, Alabama with Mac Jones, LSU with Joe Burrow, Clemson with Trevor Lawrence, uh, 2017 Alabama with uh, Jalen Hurts, but then Tua Tungavailoa actually winning it for them. So I'm going to count it as Tua. Um, Clemson with Deshaun Watson. You know, you, you have to go back to, I think, 2015 Alabama to find a, a like a not great quarterback. I don't remember even who the quarterback was for that team. I think it might have been is it Jacob Coker or something. Um, let me uh, let me go to let me get a look at that as well. But you you have these this past era has been defined by these dominant quarterbacks. Yeah, it was Jake Coker. Um, and I think that I don't know if that's shifting. I I honestly I don't think that's going to shift very soon. I think that we're going to see more big-armed quarterbacks, these big, freakishly talented quarterbacks, you know, C.J. Stroud, um, guys like Joe Burrow, guys like Mac Jones, not freakishly talented, but Trevor Lawrence, guys like that, you know, these these generational talents. Justin Fields, I think, would would apply as well. We're seeing more and more of these guys. I I think that the the level of quarterback play coming into college football is improving rapidly, and I don't don't know exactly why that is. It could be just the, the, the fact that Teams aren't running these horrible offenses like they ran for years and years and years back in, you know, pretty much every time prior to 2014 or so. Um, you know, but pa- pa- passing offenses, I think people are just starting to really get a grasp on. This is a pretty new thing. You know, it, it, teams were not throwing the hell out of the ball all that long ago. Um, and so I, I think that we are, I think we're going to see more of that. I don't think that's going to change. I don't think that Georgia in 2021 was necessarily a changing of the guard and what you can do to win a national championship. That was just a, a really unique circumstance of, of that defense being excellent and there not really being a second 
truly elite, like the national championship elite team. But as for for the RPOs, I don't think that the I, I don't think that this system really matches the era with quarterbacks, and I think that that's part of what we're seeing is that some of the best teams on the board here for scoring offense, for passing offense, we're not seeing run these RPOs. And I think that that ties into that feeling of diminishing returns. Western Kentucky wasn't running a ton of RPOs. They threw for 433 yards a game. You know, uh, Virginia a little bit different. Virginia had some of that stuff. But Ohio State, basically no RPOs. The, the, the games that they did have RPOs, the offense worked fine, but the offense is largely not designed around that. You know, you have some air raid offenses up here. I don't really know how they fit into this. I think that that's sort of its own little thing. But you look a lot of the best offenses in 2021, and they're running different stuff. They're running more dynamic stuff. They are able to break out of just the kind of, you know, what we think of as being the now default college football offense. And I think that we are going to see that more and more as more teams lock in on these quarterbacks who can do more. I think that the RPOs make a lot of sense for a team like Wake Forest, for a team in that second, third, fourth tier of the of the P5, or a really good G5 team that doesn't have a an NFL caliber player at quarterback. I don't know if Jake Hayner is an NFL caliber quarterback, and so Fresno State doing a bunch of that stuff makes sense because I just I don't know if he has that arm. But when you have a player like a Trevor Lawrence, like a C.J. Stroud, like a Justin Fields, whoever it might be. Joe Burrow, it, it doesn't make a ton of sense to limit yourself so severely with these plays because so many of them, you do have a definitive time limit on how long the quarterback can hold the ball, Not because, well, partially because of your blocking, but also because your linemen are going down the field. And so you can't, these guys can throw the ball 50, 60 yards, you're wasting them. You know, we just saw it with Caleb Ellaby at Western Michigan. You're wasting this guy by having these RPOs. And so I think that that's part of why they're going away, is that if you have a really good quarterback, this is not a great offense to to benefit them and to grow them and to to best use their abilities. It just doesn't it doesn't really show off the strengths I think of a uh, you know uh, of a quarterback in the way that something closer to Ohio State's offense or you know I I I, I struggle to say like UCLA's offense because that passing attack is not great, but you know. Some of the more advanced passing attacks, uh, I, I think, are doing a much better job of giving quarterbacks multiple reads, giving them time to look down the field, building out something that is, I hate to say pro style, but similar to what they're doing in the pros with, I mean, you know the you know the buzzwords, you know the names of the coaches, the Sean McVay types, but it is something kind of similar to that. It's It's a college version of it, but it is something similar to that, and I think that Teams who can secure top quarterbacks are probably going to shift more and more into that. I think Alabama's already started this. I think Alabama is fully headed that way and will be there within a couple years. Um, I think that Lincoln Riley's probably going to start to adjust his offense and it will be headed in a similar path. And his offense has always been more vertical than people give it credit for. Um, I I think that a lot of the top offensive coordinators, the top offensive minds are already on this and they're, they're moving ahead with the next development of the game, which is probably something pretty close to what Sean McVay does. Um, whether that's a positive or a negative, I don't know. But I, I think it's probably going to be a lot of, um, uh, not so much zone running, because uh, it seems like that that uh, has that era has sort of passed as well. But varied zone and gap running with a lot of play action, with a lot of deep shots off of play action, uh, sale concepts, things of that sort. We're seeing that at the pro level. We're seeing it work at the pro level. And... 
sometimes things like that just have to start at the pro level. It's 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 rare that you see that because um, usually it starts from the bottom and then works its way up. But I think that we're going to see more of that, especially at the top of the sport and RPOs becoming not quite as ostracized as like the triple option, but becoming more of a resort that you turn to if you don't have top-end talent at quarterback or at wide receiver or on the line, which any of the three is a, a, a understandable to to go to something like that that does make it pretty simple for those guys, does make it so that your line doesn't need to hold up for all that long, can pretty much scheme your wide receivers open, um, makes easy throws for quarterbacks. It makes sense to do that if you are a, a team that is limited in one of those places. Um, the... The the next thing coming down potentially from the NFL ties into another one of those questions, which is, why is everything happening so fast right now? Why is college football, and football really, innovation happening so quickly? It seems like the cycles have really shifted here and, and, and shortened for innovation on either side of the ball, Right. It was not that long ago that people were just introducing RPOs, <laughs> that every you know television broadcast was explaining what an RPO is. Just like I said, it's not that long ago that we had read options frequently featured within offenses. Johnny Manziel won the Heisman 10 years ago, right? It, it was not that long ago. Braxton Miller was playing in 2013, 2014. You know, you, you have... Urban Meyer was the head coach at Ohio State four years ago or whatever it is now, three years ago. It, we're not that far removed from this being still one of the dominant you know, features of most offenses, Jalen Hurts at Alabama. Um, you have you have a lot of these, and there were a lot of these that did really, really well. Chip Kelly was, you know, consistently in the national title conversation at Oregon. That was less than a decade ago. And so it's it seems like more and more we are seeing these really quick shifts all the way across the sport. You know, RG3 was lighting it up at Washington like nine years ago. And now it is, it's, you know, you just don't see guys playing like him. You know, there are guys who break the mold. Lamar Jackson breaks the mold, but it's not a running offense. It's not a quarterback run offense. He's just, he's a guy who's capable of scrambling. You know, Daniel Jones, Josh Allen, guys like that, right? They're not really doing designed runs a whole lot, not in the way that it used to be in, in you know, 2013, right? And I think that that is happening. I think that those very, very short innovation cycles are happening for a couple reasons. I think they're happening on both sides of the ball. Um, partially as as an in, you know being influenced by the other side of the ball evolving, you know, defense is getting quicker. You're going to see offenses start to shift into more power looks, more play action looks, things like that as defenses get smaller and smaller. Defenses got smaller as a reaction to these spread offenses as a reaction to the read option. You saw the the 4-3 completely fade into, you know, that's a thing that you'd run if you're an idiot uh, within the last five or six years. You know, everybody's running the 4-2-5 now. That's the base at every main school that knows what it's doing. And that, I mean, that was a, that was a sort of whispered about defense that only a couple people were running up until like 2013, 2014. And these things are just changing so quickly now on both sides of the ball. We're starting to see now, you know, I think that this this you know 2019 or so was the 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 year where everybody's running three safeties, and then in 2020 we see Ohio State completely humiliate Clemson doing the same thing. You know Ohio State puts you know uh, strength in the boundary, they put trios in the boundary, and they just exploit the three safety look. They exploit what Brett Venables was doing, and now you see defenses shifting away from that. You see more defenses with a a defined 
Nickelback who can play a little bit of everywhere. You're seeing them get more dynamic. We're seeing, I think the next evolution is probably something like what Jim Knowles does, something that, you know, he came up with back in 2011, 2012, but has really started to come into vogue in recent years as sort of an evolution of the 3-3-5, where you've got a Leo or whatever you want to call it. It's sort of a defensive end linebacker hybrid who can do a little bit of both, and that provides you flexibility. The The new name of the game defensively is flexibility. I don't think that that'll be the case forever either. But these things are all happening so quickly, and I think it's because of partially because of the internet which is a a i think a much larger topic that i don't really know if it's worth going into because you can watch film of every single team in all of football now and you can watch it at any time if you know i go to the gym tonight i can watch south alabama play troy on my phone um and i can see exactly what those teams are doing on offense and defense i can track it i can you know draw it out on my phone as i'm jogging like it's there there's more access to things than there were and i i I think that there's also as much as i am you know cautious about complimenting football coaches i do think that football coaches have gotten generally speaking smarter about the schemes that their teams are running. They're still behind um, the vast majority of them, but I do think that we are seeing more coaches willing to adapt based on what they're seeing, more willing to change their schemes, more willing to admit, you know, okay, what I was doing isn't really working anymore. Uh, I'm ready to try something new. I think that that's something specific to a lot of the new generation of coaches, and uh, maybe, maybe that isn't true. Maybe it's just they came up with these new schemes, so they're comfortable with them, and once it's something different, they won't be comfortable with them anymore. I think that could be the case too. But I have seen more of a willingness to adapt. I have seen more comfort with trying new things and more, I would say, just comfort in general with ideas that were, you know, 10, 15 years ago considered crazy. A lot of teams weren't running the spread in the mid-2000s because they thought that it was fringe, that they didn't, you know, oh, this won't stick. And I don't think that there's that same hesitation from coaches. I think that coaches are more willing to be, you know, progressive about their ideas schematically on both sides of the ball. They're more willing to bring in new ideas and try out new things. Um, they should be more willing even than they are. Um, but there, I do think that that is a, a compliment that I'm comfortable delivering with a lot of the mostly younger coaches. And there is, you know, Brian and I joke about the he's just young thing. There are a lot of guys for whom that is true. But there are also a lot of them who are really, you know, willing to look at what they're doing and adjust and, and try new things and adapt to the talent that's on their roster. And I think that that's new. I don't think that coaches save for the absolute best of the best, we're really doing that before, you know, the last 10, 15 years or so, other than like Bill Snyder, which is why he won so much is because he was willing to adapt to his talent. He wasn't really wedded to any one thing. I don't think you can be an ideologue in college football as a coach, in football as a coach, um, at least not in the way that you used to be. You do have to be able to adapt to new things uh, schematically. And so I think that that's part of it. I think that a, you know, another part of it is player development at the high school level. I think that it's recruiting. I think that it's talent evaluation. These teams, generally speaking, especially at the top, are getting better players. They're getting better players than they've ever had before. And I think in the same vein from that talent evaluation, they're hiring better coaches. They're they're hiring better assistants. They're hiring from different places. You see Mike Gundy frequently hiring from the Division II level and, and having a lot of success with it. You see coaches bringing in these new ideas and then being willing to adopt those new ideas into whatever they're doing. Nick Saban is the one who comes to mind for this. But 
I think that you are seeing more educated assistant coaches and more educated players who are becoming more comfortable with these systems and allowing for the coaches to, you know, install more things offensively. I'm going to pause to get a drink here because I've been going for 20 minutes unabated. Uh, so give me give me one second here. So I, I think that that's part of it too. I think that we do have a... a generation of football players and coaches that is smarter that is that has a better understanding of the game inherently and and from you know watching it from having more access to it what i'm curious about and i'm trying to figure out the the best way to phrase this what i'm 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 curious about how this stops how this at least it's not going to stop the 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 cycle never stops, right? There's always going to be new innovations. But I am curious about how it slows down because it can't keep at this pace forever because we're going to just run out of ideas. You know, everything in football can be reworked. It can always be reinvented. Um, But we are going to run out of ideas here at some point for wildly different things. It's not been played for that long. Eventually, you kind of figure out the stuff that works best physically. And I just don't know... I don't know how much longer it can keep at this pace without somebody just, you know, throwing up their hands like, we can't possibly keep up with this. So we're, the, the machine is going faster than we are. These new innovations are stupid. They aren't really structurally sound. They don't really work. And I think that RPOs kind of fall into that. I think that it was a, an innovation that you can catch somebody off guard with for a couple years. You can catch defenses who aren't prepared for it off guard with it for a couple years. But... And this ties into another question of what teams are, why they're not working anymore. Defenses have adjusted to this really quickly. I don't know if people have quite taken that in yet. We talked about 2020 being, 2021 rather, being the year of defense. I don't know if that's fully fair. I mean, there were 16 teams, as I look at this, that allowed less than 20 points per game. Like, it was not a return to form for defense necessarily, but we did see more defenses, I would say, that knew how to handle what offenses want to throw at them, that knew how to handle RPOs. And we saw a lot of, I would say, extremely embarrassing games for RPO merchant coaches uh, against some of these defenses. We saw coaches just get absolutely stonewalled by really good defenses. Um, Georgia-Michigan comes to mind. Michigan just did not have a prayer in that game, just did not have a prayer. Um, there, there are, you know, there are plenty of others that come to mind, but you, you see these teams, I mean, Georgia did it all season. Georgia just dick stomped a lot of their opponents who were trying to do this stuff. Um, and so you're, you're seeing, you're seeing defenses that are putting those hybrid players onto the field who can cover the, the receivers, but can also make plays in the running game that can, you know, that can track zone really, really well. Defenses are figuring out schemes that can better handle these these RPOs. You know, Cincinnati's three two two four is brilliant, where they have two up linebackers to essentially serve as run stuffers, and then they have two more linebackers behind them who are kind of hybrid safety types who can cut those glance routes, cut those those slants on RPOs, and they they generated a ton of interceptions by doing that. That's great. Georgia was doing stuff that was pretty similar just with their regular linebackers because their regular linebackers were that good. Clemson has been experimenting with stuff like that. Texas A&M has been experimenting with stuff like that. Notre Dame has been doing that for several years now. 
Oklahoma State, Baylor, you're seeing hybrid defenses. You're seeing this sort of thing come about. And I think that's part of it, too, is that the defenses have adapted. We have the same innovation cycle going on there. And like I said, hybrid is the new thing. It is you want players who are flexible, who can do multiple things, who can play multiple positions. We are, I would say, fully in that era of defense, and more and more teams are going to be looking to catch up to that. A lot of the worst major defenses we saw this season were like that because they were still sticking to old positions. You have three linebackers on the field. You have two outside cornerbacks. You have a single high safety. You guys know what team I'm talking about, but this it was a similar issue for a lot of the teams that really struggled on defense and that, that, that probably had better talent uh, than than their final product showed defensively, um, I I just I, I think that that played a big role in it. I think like LSU's defense comes to mind, but Ohio State's is obviously the one I'm referring to here, um, and so I I think that that's part of it too. That defenses are getting better. Something I am curious about here as well about the innovation cycle is, and I don't know if I have an answer for this. I don't know how this came about beyond the spread of information, beyond the willingness of these these coaches at the highest levels to hire creatively to adopt new ideas into their system but something that I have noticed in football in the last I don't know how long it's not been very long I think it's been less than a decade Um, but a lot of the innovation on both sides of the ball is coming from the top of the sport not the bottom and that doesn't necessarily mean the NFL I think in the case of the next offensive evolution that will be the case because we really didn't see that offense in college football that is a Sean McVay thing that is a that is a Kyle Shanahan thing it is adapting the west coast offense into a new into a new thing um but we didn't really see that at the college level so to speak none of those guys I don't think came from the college ranks where they, they were dominant in college and then they went to the NFL um and so I think you know Cliff Kingsbury is not really running that offense at least not to the extent that that Shanahan and, and McVay are and so that's weird. <laughs> that's weird. We can say that that's weird. It's not, it didn't used to be like that. It used to be that ideas would spark up at the high school level or at the low, you know, NCAA level, the, the you know, D3, D2, FCS. You'd see teams doing weird stuff, and then it would work its way up. You know, those guys would get hired up into bigger jobs, and they would get seen in bigger places, and then more teams would start to adopt it. The guy who I have in mind here is Mike Leach and now Mummy and the Air Raid. That's how the air raid came about. It started at the bottom with teams that were desperate and needed new ideas, and it worked its way up. We're not seeing that anymore. And I think that part of it is the the mountain of analysts that a lot of these top teams have. I think that it is their willingness to adapt, and I, I think that it's just the way that, that things are now. But a lot of the teams coming up with new ideas are Alabama, are Ohio State, are Clemson, are LSU, Florida, Texas, you know, whoever you want to say, whatever power you want to say. These are the teams that are bringing about new ideas. Joe Moorhead at Penn State, one of the first guys to do RPOs at the major level that I saw. Chip Kelly at Oregon, right? Like He started doing that at, at, at the lower levels, but <clears throat> I think that the, the spread option revolution started at Oregon. And that's not how it used to be. It did not used to be that you'd just do it at the big schools and then smaller schools would pick it up. There, there used to be an innovation st- cycle that started at the bottom, which would yield weird result seasons. The ones that come to mind, 1984, with, I believe, BYU winning a championship. might have been Georgia. There was the Georgia Tech championship somewhere in there, maybe 1990. Um, the times when you see an odd champion, 
right? The times when you see an odd contender. Another one that comes to mind, Northwestern in 2000 was, you know, beating Michigan, right? That was a major innovation moment because Randy Walker was running the spread and nobody else was. Randy Walker and Kevin Wilson were running the spread. And that moved up. It, you know, Kevin Wilson went to Oklahoma and they started running the spread. Urban Meyer went to, to Utah and then to Florida. They were running the spread. By the time it was the late 2010s, a lot of teams were still, were, were just starting to pick up the spread. But, you know, even in that case, it was still coming from the bottom. You look at some of the new ideas now, and they're coming from the top. Clemson was one of the first teams to do those three safety stuff. You know, them and, and, and Iowa State, which is also a Power 5 team. And they're picking it up very, very early. And they have these really smart assistant coaches coming up with these ideas and these analysts creating these ideas. But you're seeing a lot of the new stuff start at the top of the sport. And... I don't think another season that comes to mind is 2007, where you have all of these teams who are exploiting read option, exploiting spread offenses. You know, they they have these these systems in place to exploit defenses, and defenses at the power schools were not yet ready to handle that. And so, I think that the sport, specifically college football, is missing something because that innovation cycle has been damaged and I'm really curious to see where it goes because of that. I think that you are seeing this last year not necessarily withstanding, but you're seeing <clears throat> fewer upsets of top teams. You're seeing fewer programs that can rise quickly. You're seeing fewer programs pull off these impressive, you know, <clears throat> Ole Miss has not beaten Alabama. Things like that. It just doesn't happen quite as much anymore. You know, it, it it's I think it used to be a lot more frequent, and I think that it's happening, that it's not happening, rather, largely because the best coaching is happening at these schools. It's happening at Alabama. It's happening at Ohio State. It's happening, maybe not Ohio State. It's happening at, at you know, for a time, Clemson, for, you know, right now, Georgia. Um, you know, it's happening at the schools that have the most money, that have the most talent, and I don't think that that's how it's supposed to be in football, in college football specifically. I think that there is a balancing act that it was designed to have where the top teams had the most talent, but you could keep up with them by out-scheming them. And it's really hard to out-scheme Alabama right now or any of these top teams because they have 800,000 analysts. They have people working on innovation all of the time. They are on the cutting edge. They are not supposed to be there. It's not by design that they're there. It's very weird to see an industry power setting the standard. It's not how it's supposed to work. And I'm not saying that we need to legislate against this. I don't think you can. Um, I think college football in general is a living entity, and to try and make it one specific thing is a, a fool's errand. You can, you, you can limit analysts. They'll find another way. Um and I don't think it's fair to take those jobs away from people either just because their teams are too good. But I do think that it has been, the innovation cycle has been disrupted. And I think that you're seeing fewer upsets, fewer upstarts because of it. And so I'm curious, again, I don't know if I have the answer to this, but I'm curious about where that's headed. I'm curious about how smaller teams will continue to, and, and will in some cases begin to absorb that, recognize it and move in a different direction to to adjust and to start out scheming again and uh my my guess just from you know reading the tea leaves as best i can from watching as much football as i can from seeing which teams are starting to succeed 
my guess is that that is going to be, <laughs> this is going to sound like stupid business guy talk, but I, I would guess it's going to be progression through regression. Um, which when I say that, I mean, you know, look at Northern Illinois' offense. Look at what Cincinnati did this past season. Look at what Michigan did this past season. You know, I'm, I'm looking at the top, the top teams here. And I'm seeing several teams who made big leaps in 2021 because of how different they were in their schemes. Utah was fucking awesome in 2021. You know, groups like that, Georgia won the championship. And that's not a great example, but it is a team who was doing things differently. And I think something we're probably going to... BYU in 2020 is another example. Something we're going to see more is... Smaller teams, be it G5, the best of the G5, in a lot of cases the best of the G5, some some smaller G5 schools will also pull this off and they'll move up because of it within their own leagues. But the best of the G5 with the best coaches um, and then the middle tier of the P5 are going to start moving backwards to better take advantage of what defenses are doing against, you know, to handle those top groups, right? If you're, you know, scheming for Ohio State is going to be very different than scheming for a team who has gone back to 2006 and, like Northern Illinois, is running the hell out of the ball, running power like crazy. They're throwing from the eye form. They've got a fullback. They've got two tight ends. They've got all sorts of shit that modern defenses just aren't really built to contend with. And objectively, these schemes are worse. They are. They are. The passing The passing concepts of older offenses are worse, objectively. It's how it is. It's how innovation works. But the per, I think it's going to be personnel-based. I think that it's going to be formational, and I think it's going to be personnel-based. And I think that you're going to see more and more of these counterculture teams sprout up. And so I don't know if saying that it was the year of defense is fair, but I do think that this is the first year where we're really starting to see teams grasp this, and I think we're going to see more teams grasp it essentially. I think that we're going to see more teams recognize what happened with Michigan, where it's just running the hell out of the ball, and it's it's using that to beat Ohio State, or Georgia beating Alabama, or Cincinnati going to the playoff as a G5 team. Those are those are faults in the in the way that it is supposed to be. Georgia, obviously, is the most talented team in the country, but those other two, Michigan's not more talented than Ohio State, just like Cincinnati's not one of the four most talented teams in the country, but they were doing something different, be it with running the ball like Michigan was, where it was a very power-based, I mean, that was a that was a 2011 Jim Harbaugh rushing attack. They had a good offense to go with it. They were doing some of those RPO stuff, and that's why Georgia beat the shit out of them, but for a lot of the season, Michigan was just grinding out yards and it created some some situations where against lesser teams, yeah, they could lose because it's just not a very good offense. It's not a that's not fair. It's a fine offense, but it's not as good as it could be. But when they play against top teams, those groups are not really preparing for that. Alabama's not really preparing for that. Georgia is. Ohio State's not really preparing for that. Clemson's not really preparing for that. They're preparing for each other, and each other are running these high-flying offenses. You know, Ohio State was so ready for Clemson in 2020, but it was not, I don't think, ready for a team like Alabama who was more talented. But I, I think that Ohio State, you know, you look at the game before, struggles severely against Northwestern. Northwestern was doing something different. 
Northwestern was running the ball. It was playing zone defense. It was giving Ohio State a different look. And I think that we're going to see more of that to try and upend these top talented teams. I think we're going to see more teams that are willingly taking some stuff that they know can work out of their offense for the sake of personnel groupings that challenge what defenses are doing. And you're going to see this, I think, on the other side of the ball, too. You're going to see, I think, more two tight end looks from mid-tier teams. You're going to see more fullbacks. You're going to see, I think, Northern Illinois' offense starting to replicate. You're going to see defenses that are a bit more physical, that are a bit slower on the outside, but that can completely gum up your running game, which for so many of these teams is directly tied into the passing game. I think if you eliminate the running game for a lot of these RPO teams, they're fucked. Regardless, they're fucked. They just, you know, if they're not worried about, if you're not worried about the run, you can completely sell out to stop the pass. And when you have a bigger defense, you can sell out, you, you don't have to sell out to stop the run to stop it. You have, you know, five guys in the box who are huge. Cincinnati kind of did this. Darian Beavers is not a modern linebacker. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. Joel DeBlanco, not a modern linebacker. Didn't matter. Because they've built these things around old concepts, they've updated them. But around old concepts that these modern offenses, that these modern defenses just aren't really built to deal with. Not because they're not because they're being out-schemed, but because of the size of players, because of the skill sets of players, because of the physicality of players. You know, you 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 more and more we're seeing these teams lean away from these big hulking linebackers i think correctly so because of the evolution of the game but i think that there's going to be a place for them again i do and i i don't know i don't know when that's going to fully happen i don't think it's i don't necessarily think that these top teams are going to do this and so i think that this is and maybe this is foolish to think this but i think that this is maybe the uh, I don't know if gentrification is the right word, but this is the gentrification-proof scheme idea. This is the gentrification-proof innovation because you're going backwards. I don't think a lot of these top teams are willing to do that. Maybe they are. Maybe I'm wrong. If that starts winning games, you're going to see more of them do it. But I think Texas A&M is going to win a championship in the next couple of years because they are different, because they do things differently, regardless of my opinion about Jimbo, which is not high. I, I think that they, you know, they have the most, ta- they have so much talent, but they are also a different thing to prepare for because of how shitty and stupid their offense is. It sounds, it sounds funny to say that oh, a team is going to to be, you know, stru- is going to be so di- se- severely troubled by a stupid, shitty offense. But, like, Northern Illinois' offense, I don't think I'm telling tales out of school here, was stupid and shitty. And they won the MAC. And I think that the MAC is a microcosm of the whole sport, just like all these G5 conferences are. You see a lot of this stuff gestating at this level. Not as much now as you're used to. But I think this is the new thing that's coming. I think that we're going to see more teams doing this. And I think that that's good. I think that that is the response. I hope that's the response. Is a a correction to the adjustments that defenses have made in personnel, to the adjustments that offenses have made in personnel, and a a return of sorts to what it used to be in the mid-2000s, even going back to the 90s, the 80s, the 70s. I, you know, maybe I'm crazy for thinking this. I think if you transplanted Coastal Carolina's offense at... I don't know. I don't know what a great example would be. A, a, a mid-tier Big Ten team, let's say Maryland. 
Let's say you hire Jamie Chadwell at Maryland. He goes out. He gets a really, really good option quarterback who everybody else overlooked because he's not a great passer. But he runs a 4-3. He's really good at running the option. He's even better at it than Grayson McCall is because he's a, he's a Maryland-level talent, right? That team is a fucking nightmare to prepare for if you're Ohio State. You get Maryland sandwiched between, you know, let, let's say you, I don't know, you go to Penn State, you have Maryland at home, and then you get Indiana at home right? That's not a, a, a nightmare scenario of games, but Penn State is different to prepare for than Maryland is different to prepare for than Indiana. It's wildly different offenses. And I think that if Maryland is, is, is grouped in there and they're running a spread option, or they're even better running like a wishbone, <laughs> they're running like a modified wishbone, they're running the pistol spread option, they're running concepts that Ohio State hasn't seen, that we haven't seen as a sport, since the 80s, since, you know, uh, the, 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 the Southwest Conference really was the last one that was doing this at a really high level, you know, they're making Barry Switzer proud. That kind of thing, I think that that would be difficult to deal with, with the kind of talent that you're going to have at these mid-tier schools. Army's not pulling off these upsets a whole lot, but they do it sometimes, and they don't have any talent. They have guys who have to join the fucking Army when they're done with school. Maryland doesn't have to have guys that join the Army. And so I think that there is a... And that's a tough sell still on the trail. That's a tough sell to say, we're not going to do the the modern cutting-edge thing. We're not going to do the thing that's going to prepare you directly for the NFL, at least on offense. Maybe on defense, too. But these guys have to go somewhere. They can't all go to the top schools. And I think that if enough schools are doing this, it will become a trend. It will become the new thing. And I don't think that these top schools, you, I've, I've said them enough, are going to absorb this in the same way because it's not really, it's not sexy. It's not a, a cool new thing. It's not, oh, RPOs. It's not, you can't really buzzword this. Yeah, we're running the fucking wishbone. It's not, it's not cool. It's not cool to run the wishbone. I think it is, but it's not. And so I think that's what it's going to be. I said I don't have the answer. I think that's my answer. I think that's what's going to stop this this death march towards the optimization of the game is the fact that I think you can beat a lot of these optimized teams by doing stuff that they haven't seen in a long time. Because I think that as good as a lot of these coaching staffs are, they are not necessarily willing to accept old ideas as feasible they can adapt them but I think that if if a lot of these coaches modern coaches offensive defensive whatever it might be if they see stuff and they're like well that's that's the wishbone you're running the wishbone they will write it off I think a lot of teams did that against NIU they write it off oh we could just outscore them they're you know they're only running 70 you know whatever it is they're only running 50 plays we can run 90 plays that's uh, more plays. We're going to maximize yardage. And it doesn't work like that. There's a reason that these schemes work and that they worked in the past, and I think that there's a reason they could still work. It's different. It's a different thing to prepare for. It's a thing that you oftentimes, as a coach, will overlook. And so I think that that's probably what's coming, is a, a modernization of a lot of the offenses that ruled the day in the 80s and the 70s. I think somebody, I don't know who it is yet, 
I don't think that we've seen it happen yet to a point where I can predict who it's going to be. <sighs> Maybe the offensive line coach at NIU will break free and do this. Maybe one of the coaches, offensive line coach at, um, I don't remember his name, I think it's Bill Durkin at Coastal Carolina will do this. It'll be an offensive line coach, and it'll be somebody who has at least some comfort with the option. I think somebody's probably going to do an I-form option here at some point. And like Nebraska style, Nebraska in the 80s and 90s style. And I think it's going to work extremely, extremely well. You probably won't win a championship. Maybe not yet. Um, but I think that you can upset some teams. I think that you can compete. And I know I, I sound like fucking Kirk Ferentz here. The whole episode, I sound like Kirk Ferentz. I sound like Wisconsin's head coach. But those teams win nine games every year, and their talent is not nine games. It's not nine wins. It's not. Iowa's talent is not nine wins. They're there pretty consistently, given the circumstances. Northwestern is there pretty consistently, given the circumstances. I'm only naming Big Ten teams because that's the only teams that do it. But you you have you have schools, Stanford, for several years, that are exceeding their abilities and are pulling off upsets. And I think it's because of their willingness to do the uncool shit, to do these old ideas that will get them made fun of on podcasts like this one, on Twitter, on whatever it is, by people who only think in terms of the national championship picture, which I'm trying to do less of. Um, and, and they'll, you know, they'll get goofed on there. They'll get joked about. They'll, you know, we'll say, well, Kirk Ferentz, Kirk Ferentz is his moron son is holding him back. And he is. <laughs> Brian Ferentz is holding Kirk Ferentz back. He's holding Iowa back. But, Iowa shouldn't modernize at all. Modernize its offense; it would get worse. Great, you're Minnesota now with less talent. Cool. <laughs> here's here's four and eight. You know, Wisconsin, you're running the spread now with Caleb Williams, and guess what? You stink. You don't have any five stars. You can't do the shit that Ohio State's doing. So you're behind them. And I think more and more we're going to see coaches recognize. And I don't know if Kirk and, and Wisconsin are necessarily thinking of it this way. I think they just like that offense. <laughs> I think that they just like to do it. Pat Fitzgerald, I think, just likes to do it. But I think more and more we're going to see coaches who see what's happening in recruiting. They see Texas A&M landing 10 guys, they you know, 10 five-stars. They see not—I I don't want to say their top players all going to the portal because that's not happening. Um, and the flow is more from P5 elsewhere than it is from G5 up to P5. But there are coaches who are losing some of their better players to these bigger schools, to bigger opportunities. Kenneth Walker at Wake Forest comes to mind. Um, Jameer Gibbs at Georgia Tech comes to mind. And I think you're going to see some coaches who, probably out of desperation to not get fired, are going to throw up their hands and they're going to say, fuck it, we're going to be really hard to deal with. I, don't wanna, I'm not, I know I'm not going to win a championship here. I can't tell my boosters that directly, but in the way that I am going to operate, I'm going to announce that I'm not trying to win a championship. I'm trying to fuck up your day. Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, I'm trying to fuck up your day. I want to make your shit worse. I want to make it harder on you to do what you're trying to do. And I want to see if I can pull off an upset every now and then. And I think that that is an idea that has permeated throughout the sport and that a lot of coaches have forgotten. And I think that we're going to see coaches remember that. We're going to see coaches pick that up in the next couple years as we see Cincinnati, Michigan, teams like that go to the playoff. I think we're going to see more of them in the playoff. Uh, I think that the, the top schools are weak in this area, and they're not really willing to become not weak in this area. 
because it would require going away from the stuff that works really well and that scores a lot of points and that puts players in the NFL. <laughs> and is this my one very long argument for just running the triple option? Yeah, partially. It's the same idea. It's it's the same you know, it's the same base concept. You want to do something different that your opponents will have to prepare differently for because it's a hassle and you only get these guys for so many hours a week. Um, it's a similar concept. But I don't think that it has to just be with a triple. I think it could be with any number of things on both sides of the ball. And so I think that, that the sport needs that. I do. I think that football needs that. I think college football specifically needs that. I don't know when it will happen. I think it will. Uh, I don't know where it's going to start specifically at the point where like national people start talking about it as a thing that is happening. I've not seen that. I guess I'm national on this podcast, but I don't think I count. Um, maybe Kentucky, you know, schools like that, that know their lot in life. Um, not, not in an insulting way. Utah. <laughs> I say, I see teams outside of the big 10 aren't doing it. Utah's doing it better than any of the teams in the big 10 are. Utah's going to the playoff this year, by the way. Um, I, I will stand on that. I will say that in August, just like I'm saying it in March, Utah's going to go to the playoff. Um, they're not going to win, but they will go to the playoff. And I think that you're going to see more teams recognizing their situation, recognizing their limitations and saying, okay, we're just going to make it really hard on you. We're going to, you know, if you're going to out talent us, then out talent us. We, we can't keep up with your receivers. You know, we can't stop your superstar quarterback. But you're going to have to deal with our shit, too. We're not just going to try, and this is what it all boils down to, and something that I really, really, really want coaches to get a grasp on. Coaches at the not-top schools. And fans of not-top schools. I see a lot of fans who don't seem to understand this. I don't say this in an, I don't try to say this in an insulting way. They're fans. I don't blame them. It's my job to think about this sort of thing, not just regular guy who's watching, you know, mid-tier Kansas State who's watching, that's not a great example, who's watching Kansas, who's watching <sighs> Texas Tech, um, TCU, whatever, TCU, sure, who's watching these schools and saying, why don't we just get go? Why don't we just go get those five stars? Why don't we just hire a recruiter? I saw TCU fans wanted to hire Deion Sanders. Why don't we just go hire a recruiter? Why don't we hire Chip Kelly? Why don't we get rid of Chip Kelly at UCLA and go get somebody who can who can recruit who can bring in guys to rival what USC is doing why don't we run the same schemes that the top schools are running i see this all the time i see a lot of people saying this about their schools i i see iowa fans saying it i think a lot of times deservedly so cuz iowa's offense is regressive but i think that something that needs to be understood about the sport about college football and something that is often glossed over and a lot of these teams, a lot of these coaches are not willing to either accept this, admit this to themselves, or they don't know, which is the worst of all, that they don't know. And I think some of them don't know. You can't outdo these schools. You cannot out Ohio State, Ohio State in the Big Ten. You cannot out Alabama or Georgia, Alabama and Georgia. Same with Clemson. Going to be the same with USC. Oklahoma, same thing. I don't know who's going to be in the new Big 12. Somebody will be will become that team. My guess is Baylor. I've been on the record about that before. I think Baylor and Cincinnati are going to trade titles for about 10 years. But I, I really, really don't understand what Penn State is doing, what Indiana is doing, what Maryland is doing. Maryland especially. Good 
God. Uh, you know, uh, I'm sticking to my, my region here, but what South Carolina, Tennessee, Florida under Dan Mullen, um, Florida State for the last however many years it's been since Jimbo left, Texas, always, all the time. <laughs> and Texas is one who could break through. But you you see these teams here who are, TCU is another one, who so desperately want to do what the teams at the top are doing. They want to be Ohio State. They want to be they want to be Alabama. They want to be Clemson. They want to be Oklahoma. You can't. You can't be. If you are if you are one of these schools, and I'm throwing cold water on a lot of fan bases. I know I am. Michigan State is another one. You can't do it. You can't. Give up. Give up. You can't be those schools. Not right now. You can't. You you just, you can't. You cannot take over the king by being the king. It doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. You can't just, oh, we're just going to do what they do and then beat them at it. They've been doing it for longer and they have more talent than you do. You, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Unless something seriously structurally changes, it's it doesn't work like that. It just doesn't. It doesn't work like that. You cannot, oh, we're just going to go recruit uh, the exact same kind of guys that Alabama is getting, except less talented versions of them, and then we're going to run the same scheme. Yeah, why would that work? You're right. That's stupid. Yeah, that's dumb. Uh, you know, Florida with Dan Mullen. Why are you running the same stuff that Alabama's running? You have less talent than them. It's, you know what's going to happen here. It's not that hard to understand. It, you, you have, it's, a, it's a car crash. Their car's heavier. You're gonna, your car's going to get more damage. Their car's heavier. It's, that's it. <laughs> you can't, you're not going to be able to make that up in coaching. It doesn't work. You can't be running the exact same shit with the same players, but worse and trying to beat these teams. You have to do something different. And a lot of schools don't do anything different. And it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. And for years, it felt like a lot of teams were just running their heads into the wall. We're just like, well, we're doing the same thing. We have less talent. Why isn't this working? It's, it's, it's stupid. It's a stupid idea. You can't do that. You cannot win like that. It doesn't work. That's not how that's not how any of it works. You have to think of these schools as immutable forces to be bested elsewhere, not on the recruiting trail. I'm so sick of seeing teams sell out for recruiters as head coaches. It doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. Great. You're going to go 8-4 and four one year, and then this Jagoff is going to hire a bunch of his moron friends, and you're going to fire him three years later. That applies to a ton of schools. I'm not singling any of them out. That's a ton of schools. That's Texas. Every single, every single cycle, they hire the same fucking moron who runs the same shit as all the best teams but can't recruit at that level because they haven't been for years, and it doesn't work, and then they fire him. Quit doing it. I, I, <laughs> quit doing it. Do something else. You're not going to recruit like Alabama or Ohio State unless you can hire one of those coaches like Texas A&M did. Texas A&M, fair play. Georgia, fair play. You hired somebody who can recruit at that level. They don't exist outside of those programs. They just don't. You'll know it when you have one. Most, 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 most schools don't. The vast majority of them don't have a coach who can recruit like that, have the, the structure to recruit like that on a consistent basis. So stop trying. Stop trying to. 
<laughs> go get guys who fit a different system and do something different. That that is that is the the number one rallying cry that I want to to impart with this episode, and I'm going to get out of here shortly. <sighs> is the 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 fall of RPOs reflects this so well. And we're only going to see it crumble more at the lower levels. You're going to see some really fucking awful offenses in the next couple of years. As bad teams, teams with poor talent, try to do this shit. They try to... Indiana this year is a great example. Fantastic example. Arizona this year is a great example. Vanderbilt this year. Colorado under Carl Durrell. Insane. Insane decision. Maryland under Mike Loxley. You are trying to out-recruit Ohio State at Maryland, brother. What are you doing? You think you're going to out-recruit Michigan? Michigan State? Penn State? No. At best, you're going to have the fifth best talent in the conference, and you're running the exact same shit as the four teams ahead of you. It's stupid. It's stupid. It's a stupid way to hire coaches. It's a stupid way to run a program. And it's because of this national title-centric idea that every program has about their, their hopes and dreams. It's just, you can't do it. You cannot build your program around, well, how do the national title winners do it? You're not one of those. So stop thinking like that. Start thinking like Coastal Carolina. There are six teams in college football, however many teams, about six, who aren't Coastal Carolina. The rest of them are in the gutter with them. Start thinking like you're in the fucking gutter, and you'll actually start to win some games. It's it, it, that's where the innovation has to come from, is everybody except for the top schools realizing, hey, we're doing the same shit as the top schools with less talent. I don't know why that would work. You're thinking about it. Why would that work? Why is everybody doing that? It doesn't work. It has proven to not work when it's the same four teams in the playoff every single year. And we're finally, I think, starting to see some teams break out of this. Michigan... Cincinnati, I'll say it again. Michigan, Cincinnati, Utah. We're starting to see some teams break free of this thinking. It is perfectly fine that these blue bloods exist, that they're doing what they're doing, that they are recruiting at the level. I don't care. Whatever. That's not my issue. My issue is with everybody else who thinks that they can do it too. You can't. You can't. So stop trying to play on their field. You don't have it. (laughs) You know, you're playing games with the wrong pieces here. You can't play on their chessboard. They have different pieces than you do. Do something else. Find a different way. Because you're, you're playing on an unbalanced playing field when you do that. You, you can't win trying to play like that as Pitt. As, you know, any number of teams. Michigan. Michigan for years tried to do this. Michigan with Rich Rod. Stupid idea. Insane stupid idea. Texas with Steve Sarkeesian. <laughs> Dumb. Dumb. Dumb idea. North Carolina with Mac Brown. You can't out-recruit Clemson, so you're just going to be worse Clemson. You're getting the same guys. You're running the same thing. Miami with Manny Diaz. Why would it be any different? You aren't getting the top talent. Maybe they will with Mario Cristobal. There's one where, yeah, he can recruit on that level. He's that kind of guy. Maybe he'll change things. You got to figure out your lot in life as a program. I'm, 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 tell, I'm telling you guys, the listeners, like your athletic directors, but this is something that drives me crazy. You have to address what your actual feasible, real situation is. School that does a fantastic, fantastic job of this is Kentucky under Mark Stoops. Mark Stoops knows his 
lot. He knows his shit. He knows where he is. He's not dumb. He realized very quickly where he is. And he said, all right, let's make us hard to play. (laughs) You know, let's put a wide receiver at quarterback, see what happens. I think Jim McElwain's doing a good job at this, a, a good job of this at Central Michigan, to, to name a, a random coach. I think that a hire like Gus Malzahn at UCF is fucking crazy to think that you can win like that at UCF. Yeah, you're going to accumulate more talent than the P5 schools. Yeah, that's going to work. That'll, that'll work. Yeah, that's a good idea. Dan Mullen, you're going to just beat Alabama because you're smarter. You want it more. No. No, you're less talented. Do something different. You're running You're running the same stuff with less talented players. Mike Gundy's starting to figure this out. <laughs> I mean, Mike Gundy's getting it. Why can't more coaches? If that's, the, if that's the bar to clear, come on. Dave Aranda's doing a really good job of this. You have to understand why you can't compete if you are any number of these programs. You have to address that, understand your limitations, understand your location, understand your program, budget, any number of things, a a, a ton of things. Figure out your actual ceiling. For some schools that I've mentioned, the ceiling is that high. Texas can win a championship. Auburn can win a championship. Michigan can win a championship. Any number of these schools can win a championship, but a lot of schools just can't. They just can't, at least not without 20 years of success to build upon. It's a very long build. It's a multiple coaching tenure kind of build if you want to be on that level. a lot of Some schools are on that level from their history, from their investment, from whatever it is, and they, they don't recognize that there is still a little bit more of a hump to get over. You can't just recruit your way through it unless you get a, a structure-changing guy like a Mario Cristobal, like a Jimbo Fisher, like a Nick Saban, right? There are schools who, for whom they can look at this and they can say, I think Penn State applies to you get a you get a game changing coach, then yeah, go ahead, brute force it. Go go recruit like crazy, punch through, yeah. But for everybody else, for everybody below that top tier of teams that have the right combination of location, investment, um, history, any number of things, athletic director alignment, um, you know, a conference. Which division are you in? All this stuff. For everybody else, man, you've got these coaching staffs who are trying to win national titles. They're trying to build things to win national titles at, like, Missouri. What are we doing? What are we doing? What are you trying to do here? Do something different. Why are you running RPOs at Missouri? What are we doing? You can't out-recruit these teams. You can't. TCU, why are you going to get Zach Evans? What's that going to do for you? You, can't, you don't have the talent to put around him. He's just going to get mad and leave. Auburn. <laughs> you know? Yeah, go get Cam. Go get Cam. Then you'll win a championship. Go get another Cam. Go, 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 go. Yeah, just go find another one. They're, they're growing on trees. A lot of these schools, man. Why are you running the same stuff as everybody else? I, I, I that's, that's, Minnesota is another one, right? And that's, that's what I'll leave you with is that there's no law that says you have to run the same stuff that Alabama is running, that Ohio State is running, that Clemson, Oklahoma, Texas Texas A&M, USC, Georgia, the actual national champion, um, the power programs, the ones who are always in the top ten. There's no law that says you, as, I don't know, NC State, 
as Michigan State, Louisville, Oregon, Iowa State, Oklahoma State. I'm just, just sorting through Arkansas. As any program below that level has to run the same stuff. You don't have to do it. You can do something different that challenges those teams. You can build your, your stuff specifically around challenging those teams. It's allowed, and I think that, that has been, that's been lost a little bit in college football as everything flattens out into playoff, into national title, into the absolute upper echelon of the sport. There is no shame at all in building a 9-3 and program. None. In being different, in, in pulling off an upset. You know, we, we joke about Matt Campbell a lot, right? I still believe that what Matt Campbell has done at Iowa State is correct relative to its lot in life. Because, and I think Ryan and I probably differ on this. Um, <laughs> next week we'll have Ryan sharing the opposite opinion. But um, I think some teams just accept your, accept your lot in life and rock that. Be really good at that. Like what Kentucky's doing. You know, like, like what Baylor's trying to do. Like what a lot of schools I think are going to start to do is recognizing where they are, recognizing what they can and can't be, what their limitations are as a program, locationally, investment-wise, and most importantly, looking at who in their conference they're trying to beat. You're in the Big Ten. Who are you trying to beat? ACC, SEC, Pac-12, lower levels. This happens at the lower levels, too. You see stuff get flattened down there, too. You're, you know, Say you're Tulsa. How are you going to beat Cincinnati? By doing something different. You can't out-recruit them. You can't. Unless you get a coach who is who is that special, you're not going to do it. And so the only way to win those games, unless you just get lucky and they have a bad day, is to do something different. It's to do something that gives you a schematic advantage. And I don't think that that's going to happen with progressive innovation right now. Just because these, these top teams have so much money, so much investment in being on the cutting edge. I don't think it's going to work like that. I think that a lot of these teams to move forward, to to improve, to have these really great breakthrough seasons, they have to look backwards. They have to look back. They have to add these personnel groupings. They have to add these big these big sets into their into their systems that cause problems specifically for these top teams who have so much speed, so much talent, so many people maximizing, I would say even min-maxing their systems to the ultimate, you know, how, how, do you, how do you best optimize a football team as a concept? These teams are doing that. How do you break that is by doing something that they don't think you're going to do, which is going back. It is willingly kneecapping yourself, going back to systems that have been proven obsolete and working them into what you're doing, modernizing them as best you can, but understanding your limitations. I think that a college football program that understands its limitations is the most dangerous middle-tier college football program you can have. And there are some that do it really, really well, and there are a whole lot that do not do it at all. And that's, I think, the next innovation, I hope, is those teams recognizing that. Waking up, realizing one that just, one that just came to mind real quick, just as, a, as an aside here. Do you guys know who Duke hired this past offseason? Just, just, just to, uh, to, to, uh, you know, apropos nothing. Duke hired Mike Elko from Texas A&M. I think that's a fine hire. I think it's fine. I think that he's a, a very smart coach. I think that for, for what Duke wants to do, that makes a lot of sense, right? 
I think that, you know, recognizing your limitations, you're going to do something unique on defense. You're not necessarily hiring a coach who is electric on the recruiting trail, who is known as being the super charismatic superstar kind of guy. You are hiring a coach with limitations openly. He's got limitations, but he's a really smart, innovative coach. I think that's a good hire. I want to look across the conference, right next door even, at Virginia, who just hired Tony goddamn Elliott. To what end? You going to be Clemson? Because that's what he knows. He's been at South Carolina State, Furman, and Clemson. That's it. Do you want to be Clemson at Virginia? You think you can be Clemson, really? That's that's where I'll leave you with. Uh, Tony Elliott to Virginia. Be realistic here, guys. That's that's what I want. I want schools to be realistic about what they are, <laughs> about what they can be, and maybe at some point to recognize that you don't just have to do what the top schools are doing because what the top schools are doing has been optimized to those those programs. It's been optimized to maximize the greatest collections of talent we've ever seen in college football. Everybody else doesn't have those collections of talent. You need to do things how people used to do them. And I, I think that, I hope, that's the next thing. I think it is. But right now, we're stuck with Tony Elliott <laughs> at Virginia and things of that sort. And it's just not going to work. It won't work. It won't. It, it doesn't. It doesn't work. It, it's a... It is a misidentification of what it takes to pull off upsets in the modern game. A, a full-scale misidentification. And it is, I would say, a a, a serious lack of, of comfort with where these programs are, with their limitations, with what they can be, with what they should be. And frankly, it's just lying to these fan bases. It's, it's as an athletic director, when you make a hire like this, you're saying, yeah, I don't know what my program is, but I think we're title contenders. I think we could be the next Clemson. I haven't really thought about it all that hard, but I think we're going to be the next Clemson. I don't know ex- I don't know anything about what it takes to be the next Clemson, and I haven't thought about it because if I did, I wouldn't have made this higher. I would have recognized that it takes a lot of time or a superstar, which Tony Elliott is not. But yeah, I think we can be the next Clemson. And I just I want to see I want to see less of that. I want to see none of that, frankly. <laughs> I don't want to see teams make these kind of hires anymore. Go outside the box. Go do something new. <sighs> Even if it means going backwards. Which I don't think is that bad of an idea. But do something new. Do something to change things up. And maybe it's fine to go 9-3. and three. Maybe it's fine not to compete for a national championship. Maybe it's fine just to upset some of these top teams sometimes. Because I think if teams start doing that, there's going to be more room for different styles to get to the playoff. And I think we finally, finally started to see that in 2021. So I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic that that's going to coincide perfectly with the death of the RPO, which I think was the top schools flying a little bit too close for the sun. That's my that's my final theory. And that's where I'm going to leave you this time after a, uh, I would say, an entirely deranged uh, one hour and, uh, and 11 minutes. But if you liked this, please do let me know. Uh, if you didn't like it, I don't want to hear it. I'm good. Uh, not my problem. Uh, let Ryan know. And next week he will do, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll talk about how every school just should recruit better. Um, and he'll have, I would say, probably equally 
reasoned out ideas for it. Now I'll, I'll listen to the episode and I'll end up believing him by the time I'm done with it. But, um, this is where I stand on it. This is where I think it's probably headed in, in football. And, and hopefully my optimistic view is, is correct because I think that this would cure a lot of the problems that ails the sport. And, uh, I, I, uh, I, I hope that I have offered through my negativity, a positive path forward. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. Uh, Ryan is of course at the Hugh Jackson foundation on Twitter. Uh, the show is at field flipping. Uh, we will, uh, we'll see you guys, I think with a fully actually fleshed out episode next week and not just me yelling at a, a microphone for an hour and 10 minutes. But, um, we, uh, we were trying to do a matchmaker episode this week and we realized about six minutes in that we didn't know anything about matchmaker and we didn't want to cosplay as coaches with each other. So, um, we will, uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, we will, uh, we'll talk to you guys then.